Hash House and Circle Up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. Today on the podcast, we have a hashing couple traveling around the world as airline employees. So they're bound to turn up at any event anywhere in the world. Today's guests are Liquor Up and Occupied. Welcome, Liquor Up and Occupied. Well, howdy. Nice to hear your voice, Ra. Liquor Up, tell us when and where and how you started hashing. I started hashing in Honolulu, Hawaii, the weekend that I first met Occupied at a fishing tournament, actually, on the Big Island. And then we flew over to Oahu, and he said, hey, I got to bring you to my running group, the year 2000. How about you, Occupied? I first heard about hashing when I was working in Antarctica in 83. And these guys from the New Zealand base ran by me when I was on a hike with somebody. I said, what was that? I said, oh, those guys are from the New Zealand base, and it's some group from Scott base. And my friend said, uh, some guys in New Zealand base are from a running group. I uh, started running in Hawaii in 91 when I took a class with some other airline people. Amanda Jiggy Jiggy was uh, in that class. Liquor up. How'd you get your hash name? I was working a flight from Minneapolis to Honolulu on a 747. A hasher by the name of Thigh Master came on the plane and she didn't know me from Jack because I hadn't been hadn't been hashing for very long. And I said, Thigh Master, how are you? Here and I'm handing her a first class Mai Tai, a pre-departure drink. And she said, No, 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 I'm in row 45, but who are you and why do you know my hash name? I mentioned to her I was probably gonna get named that weekend because why they name you on your sixth run. And I said, if you're a hasher on my plane, you're getting a Mai Tai. Well, throughout the flight, I gave her lots of free beer and Bailey's on the rocks. But then I took her duffel bag down from the overhead bin, kind of pilfered a bunch of stuff off the airplane and magnums of uh, amaretto and oh, just so much alcohol. And she brought it to the hash that weekend and laid it all on a beach towel. And I became known as Liquor Up. And anytime you're on my flight, I have to get you liquored up. Magnums of amaretto? Campari. And back then, you know, in first class, we had fifths of alcohol, not these little mini things. Big bottles of stuff. And how did you become occupied? That same person I was mentioning, Jiggy, was also an airline employee uh, who introduced me to hashing. Over time, when you're new and you tell people things done on an airplane, let's just say that it's a name that I can tell my mother I have as opposed to the alternatives that were voted on. Not exactly clear what you're talking about there. I don't understand that story. How did you get your name occupied? I had had um, relations in a lavatory on an airplane. That is much clearer. Thank you. I was a little shy. I'm sorry. You know how embarrassing it is. No one's going to listen to this podcast. So you guys came from the same hash. What do each of you have in terms of preferences for traditions of the hash, things you like and don't like? Do they agree or do we have some family disputes over this? Hashing is about the trail and the day's events and the camaraderie of doing a trail together. So for me, everything really stems from like a circle, for example. It should be about the trail that day and what happened on the trail and not just an excuse to party. And I like to party and that's great, but the reason we're 
we're all there is because we did a trail today. Like, I like hearing story trails and involving people. And I think traveling all over the world, you could show up at any hash and depending on how the hash handles visitors can make or break that visitor's run, but also add so much to the color of the circle. And a lot of hashes, they don't get a lot of visitors or they kind of forget, you know, hashes can be clicky to an outsider. So I think it's about the trail. It's about being inclusive, involving everybody on that day. How about you, Liquor Up? Preferences or things you could do without? Just including everybody. When you hash all over the world and you see there's so many different cultures to each hash, no two hashers are ever the same and no two circles are the same and marks are different from one side of the world to the neck that I like that there's diversity in that. The things I could do without is when, kind of what Occupied said, when some people just take over the circle and make it about them versus being inclusive and getting everybody involved. What are some of your favorite away hashes? Uh, as you know, New Zealand is right up there. I mean, a place that does beer checks with helicopters. One hash that we did in the Philippines, right in Manila, went through the slums of uh, people living on the train tracks. And we went right down the train tracks. And when a train came, all the local kids in the neighborhood were screaming at us, train, train. And we had stuck our backs up to the sides of someone's back as the freight train passed with its inches of our nose. And it, it's just interesting to be able to run through different territories and countries and villages and be a part of what you wouldn't see on the average tourist track. It's definitely off the beaten path. I love that about hashing in other countries. I would say too that hashing in Laos, especially in today's world, given the news today, India is fabulous. Were there hashing mentors or formative figures and how you think about hashing even today? Absolutely. Um, you know, Jiggy Jiggy, who introduced me, was married to Palm, piece of meat, um, prisoner of Marlene. Yes. And he, by far, was my hashing mentor from England. So his accent made us special wherever we went. They were traveling, you know, all over the world to go to hashing. So they sucked us in or sucked me in really fast. The first inner hash I went to was uh, Rotorua in 94. I wouldn't say he taught me everything I know, but he was the very first person who organized the Trans-Siberian Rail Journey in 2005 or seven. He was a mentor. I think there's been a few people along the way, drain oil, for example, and you learn things and you absorb all the good stuff that they, just by being themselves, impart on you. Liquor up, you mentioned Thigh Master. Who else have you met along the way? Unforgettable uh, affected you. Drain oil for sure. I've been fortunate enough to have some really good conversations with him. Everything that he loves about traveling and bringing magazines and things to school kids that he meets along the way, and his conversations that I've seen him stop on trail with and just have, you know, great interaction with locals and villages. His heart's just in such the right place that he takes away from from hashing everything that I love to take away. And that's meeting locals, getting off the beaten path in these countries, seeing things you wouldn't see if you weren't out hashing with the group and learning from them as much as giving to them that I love drain oil so, so much. And he's just been one of the oldest hashers left right now. And I'm fortunate that he's my Facebook friend. I'm fortunate that we still can meet up at different hashes. And, and I love that guy. He's a classic and a wonderful human being, of course. Always great to see when he turns up. Sometimes it's a surprise. He would show up occasionally. He's in Cairo today, and he's joining us on a Faluka ride in the hash. <laughs> Liquor up, have you run circles ever? Yes. Okay, let me ask this question then. 
You've both run circles. It's probably mostly art, less science. But having run circles, has that over time affected how you behave when you're in a circle and not running it? Oh, absolutely. You want people to be included and participate and listen. We just circle back to including everybody. I love it when everybody gets a down down for something and everyone's called up for something. I guess that's why I like smaller hash events versus larger ones. It just gets more intimate. Larger hash events that it's impossible to really include everybody. Some people are really good at it, that's for sure. I think that the circle is interesting because it sometimes reflects just the microculture that's gathered on that day at that particular place. And when you run circles, you certainly understand what it's like when people are paying attention and not paying attention. And the circle is really up to those that are there right then and there. And it's really important if you respect what's happening and how the circle is being run and you're quiet because that just means everybody can be included and everybody's hearing everything and everybody's tuned into the same station, if you will. You know, it's tough when there's alcohol and get distracted and you see old friends and everything. If there's one thing I've learned from running a circle, it's that when I'm not running the circle and I'm in one, I just want to be quiet and pay attention because that's that's when they're the best. You've been to events large and small. If you had to pick, what's the magic number for people to be at a hash event? The hash event itself is, to me, not as important as the number of people on a given run. We all have seen circles with 200 people that were like some of the best circles you've ever done. And then 50 people is nice, too. That it's about how people are going to behave in a circle. And I think anything's possible if people are participating in the right way. Ideally, a circle with 100 people is probably upwards of where I think it's it's manageable. Circles with 10 people that are just absolutely hysterical and never ending. And, and then some circles last for hours and hours like it was five minutes. So the pandemic's affected us in different countries more and less. Do you think there's going to be any kind of lasting or long-term impact on hashing from this pandemic? I want to believe that there is going to be a lasting impression and a residual effect to awareness created when you're around the world. The whole world is in this together. And so I think there's, if nothing else, there's going to be created awareness and everyone's going to have a mask on them or in their person or around for access no matter where they go, maybe forever. And hopefully we'll be able to say hi and hug everybody and get as close as we want. I've worked in public health. I can say one thing. I don't think we're going to be passing around vessels quite as much and co-drinking together as much as we have. But liquor up. Changes in the hash and will they be good or not good? First of all, let me just say as far as the world dominance of consuming and having priority and opportunity to get vaccinated, it's really sad. I would like to see the vaccine be available to everyone. Survival of the richest. I think some people that were hardcore hashers that got a life outside aren't going to return when I look at some hashers that just haven't been real involved in hashing since COVID started. I don't know. Who knows anything about this pandemic right now? An opportunity for, for open travel soon, even before the event in Prague. Back on trail and hashing stories, any times you guys have been injured or ended up in the hospital or close calls on the hash? Once in Hawaii, I went to the emergency room because I thought I'd busted my ankle, but it ended up just being sprained. Rich actually got some good stitches too once in Hawaii. <laughs> I was scoping hair, laying a trail in Hawaii, and, and I just, it's an easy trail, and I just walked into a cut off thin tree stump, strong enough to pierce my calf around the, from behind the knee there. And I had to walk off to some stranger's house and knock on 
the door and say, you know, I, I kind of think I need stitches and can you drive me over to the hospital? Uh, when you're young, it's pretty easy to be free-spirited and running fast. And, and as I get older, you know, I, every footstep counts and I get a little worried. It doesn't stop the enthusiasm. I will say we heard a trail once in which to make sure no one got hurt, Rich ended up sleeping on the trail overnight with six Harriets. On the top of the <laughs> on the top of a mountain. Stairway to heaven. Okay, give us, you know, when you tell those are great stories. Give us some details. Where? Who are those Harriets? What happened? What time was it? <laughs> Give us some vivid stuff here. Boy, I'm just not quite sure if I can remember all the names. There was Frank the Tank. Make there, them up. There was <laughs> Electrolips and a blonde couple. You know, that was that was H4. a it was a 10.2 mile trail. We had a couple of beer checks. I did the beer snob beer check and hiked up 64 pounds of uh, micro brews at the top there. And then there's this one stretch where to get from where we were to the very top, and then going down the steps is easy. All 3,000 of them. 4,000. And it was just too late at night and you could not transit this small part that was maybe three feet across and a couple thousand feet down on each side. So I wouldn't let him go. So we stayed and uh, pitched a little shelter under this picnic table thing by the Electra power lines. And the funniest part about that is there's a neighborhood you descend into at the bottom of the stairs and they don't like anybody on the stairs. It's an ongoing battle of whether the stairs are going to become a park and have access or whether they're going to get shut down. It's going on right now. Uh, support the Haiku stairs is something you can look up in Hawaii. So the neighbors would call. They saw all these flashlights coming down the stairs late at night and they started calling the police and there's people up there and oh, word got out and I get this phone call on my cell phone way after we've decided not to go anywhere and we're kind of hunkered down there under the picnic table for the night. And the phone rings and it was air rescue. And they were asking if we were okay or what, what do we need? And I did what any hasher would do and I said, you know, we're fine. Could you use anything? Well, yeah, we could use a case of beer. And uh, he he said he's sorry, but he didn't have his ID with him and couldn't go get any. The next morning, 5 a.m., a hasher walked up all these thousands of stairs with donuts and coffee to see if we were okay and just offer us a little support. After seven of us came down the stairs, and then there was more hashers there to gather because they realized we didn't have our circle. So they came so that everybody could have a little mini circle and say, hey, welcome back. That hash had probably 70-some people on it. Just goes to show when you offer free t-shirts. You're going to get all kinds of people who show up. That's right. How do you like the red dress hash tradition? I love when you know what the foundation or the charity event that the money is going for. And I love when somebody comes and speaks at their golf on how this money will be affecting their life or the good that it'll do. It's one of my favorite parts of the entire year of hashing is, is the charity run and how it can help somebody, how we can make a difference. I think it's also important for the world to know, and particularly the communities and the areas that we're hashing to understand that the hash is much more than the inebriated people on a trail. And so the red dress runs provide in a great opportunity for us to be hash diplomats, if you will, by offering the stories and explaining like Colleen does where the money's going and why we do this. And it's a great way to kind of transition and deflect people from this is a bunch of drunken people, which we actually are not, to, uh, hey, we do things in the community and we raise money and we have awareness for things. And it's a great way to pay back the locals of where we are. Another part of hashing tradition, for better or worse, is the white powder scares that we're involved in. Have you ever been involved in an event that ended up being a white powder scare I, event? I do have a story I'll try. 
condensed. So in the back earlier in the podcast, I mentioned that Palm, my hash mentor, organized the very first Trans-Siberian Rail Jerk. So we were over at Lake Baikal. I had volunteered to hair a trail, and I was going to use one of our two guides. She was a 26-year-old Russian girl who was on the train, and she was our guide. She knew nothing about hashing, nothing about any of it. Everybody else went to the museum, the local museum, and we laid a trail. So we dropped everybody off at the local museum, and then I I said, uh, you take this flower and every telephone pole along the road, uh, you throw a handful down there and I'll go into town and I'll do this part and then we'll meet over here. We get the flower, we go into a store, she takes off and goes and a little while later I ended up in this little market area. We'd already identified a bar where we were going to finish, which we were going to finish there and so I took the flower and I went into this little market that, you know, by day it's like a little flea market kind of thing and then eventually I'm sure they clean up and it's a parking lot. And I laid my trail there and there really wasn't anybody set up yet, but people were coming. And then uh, about 10 minutes later, these two cops come up to me, these Russian cops, and there is no English happening. Basically, I'm sure they were asking me, what am I doing and what is this? And I pull out my bag of flour, you know, they want to know what it is. Tell them, you know, the flour, you know, and I'm throwing it and I'm marking it. They don't know what's going on. And they literally each grabbed me on an arm and started walking me away. Of course, getting worried. They're marching me down the street. I'm pointing to the grocery store where I bought this flower. I try to lead them into the grocery store and we walk in. The ladies looks at me and I, so I'm here. Hey, I just bought this stuff not even an hour ago. She doesn't know who the heck I am. She acts like she's never seen me. And these two guys take me and they whisk me out and now they're walking me down the street somewhere. I don't know where we're going. And I was getting a little worried because where's my Russian translator when I really need her, right? She's out laying trail. They took me to the visitor center and the visitor center had somebody speaking English and I explained what happened and it was flour. We're just making a run and they let me go. But boy, oh boy, I was nervous for a while. Look her up. Would you have married him at the time if you had known this had happened and his police record? <laughs> uh, I think so, but we're not married. <laughs> well, maybe that's why. <laughs> yes. The degree of separation. It's not six degrees of separation. I'd say in hashing, one or two degrees connects almost every hasher in the world. I absolutely think you're right. You get reflective and like right now, you know, you say that you start thinking about stories and people, some who are no longer with us. And just recently, uh, we were at the yacht club where we go in Hawaii, which is basically an adult youth hostel. And when we're not on the boat, that's where we go for, you know, internet and shower. And, and we're in there uh, one day in January and, and we meet this Irish guy. He's been in Hawaii. He's a COVID refugee. He sailed in from Tahiti in May and he, now it's October and I get there and I kind of get to see him and know him but I don't I don't know him that well so that was October now in January Liquor Up shows up and she's been there for a while and she's seen him and one day in January she's wearing a hash shirt and he walks up to her and he kind of looks at her and looks at the shirt and he's like that's a hash shirt are you a hasher in his Irish accent and she's like well yeah I'm a hasher we hash on Tuesdays and Saturdays here in Hawaii and he says oh my goodness I'm a hasher I hashed in Grenada hello hello music and there she blows F7 years and blah 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 and the next thing you know since january we've taken them to every tuesday and saturday hash in hawaii we've become good friends because there is no degree of separation it's the magic of a hash t-shirt yep absolutely <laughs> true it's a great point I gotta admit sometimes when i've traveled by myself walking through airports i'll just yell out are you <laughs> and that. see if anybody turns around i've done that at conferences 
stage and just yelled that, someone come up to the side of the stage and I'd say, okay, let's get out of here and go find a local hat. Rich was a purser or lead flight attendant on a flight, making all these announcements. And here he is in his flight attendant uniform, serving these first class passengers all the way to Hawaii. Or... It was a DC-10, which was the important part of that is that you sit in the front of the airplane. And so everybody's looking at you. I'm facing the passengers. <laughs> and we landed and I'd have my PA book, you know, before we had little phones. And I had my little announcement book to be consistent. I opened it when I'm reading the landing announcement. And I forget, there's a Hash the World sticker from Bimbo's Magazine. And and it's on the back of my announcement handbook. And when I raise the announcement handbook and I start making the announcement, these two first class passengers who were extremely polite, he was British, very nice, relatively soft-spoken, but they did drink the whole way. And all of a sudden I hear this, oh my God, oh my fucking God, he's a fucking bloody hasher. And he's like yelling across (laughs) I like, shh, shh, go away. And I pull my lapel on my, I'm in my uniform. <laughs> and, you know, they toned it down. But oh my gosh, that was funny. Who popped into your mind that we didn't mention? I'm reflecting back to uh, Myanmar the last time I did the Myanmar Indochina hash. And that day, for some reason, however it happened, uh, Olds from New Zealand uh, and I ended up running that circle. And I know that he passed in December. And I was really looking forward to being with our New Zealand friends, that yours and mine, and uh, raising a glass to him. And so I think about him because he was such an enthusiastic, gung-ho hasher and really enjoyed spending time with him. You know, I love uh, Imelda and Toy Boy and what they did in the 2006 Chiang Mai uh, inner hash. And Sharky and Tati from New Zealand is a good friend. And also in Goa and how all of us worked together to do trails in a place that didn't really have trails and got there early and getting to know Lofty and Ace. And those are great experiences for me that affected my hashing life till today, 20 years. Liquor up and occupied. I want to ask you one final question. Is the RA always right? Hell no. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Never. No, they're not always right, but they might have insight. Unless it's raw, the RA, that'd be different, of course. How is that boy? Have you talked to him lately? I want to thank Liquor Up and Occupied for dropping by the podcast today. Stay tuned for more episodes every week. Until next time, on on, this is Ra. To close the circle, here's the Hash Anthem sung by Mother Hash. Swing low, sweet child.